Well, good morning, church. You glad to be here this morning? Yeah, yeah, some of you are, some of you... You tell me later, all right? That's fine. We are, uh, we're glad that you're here this morning. We're going to be in Luke 10 this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible or on your phone. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the back. We'd love for you to grab those. Uh, but we're going to be in Luke 10 today. I feel like you guys are, are my people. And here's why I say that is because this is the last kind of holiday weekend of the summer. And you, like me, are out of money. We couldn't go anywhere. So we're all here together. So... We're, we're family right here, all right? So we, I'm glad that you are here today. We're wrapping up our series that we've been calling Sabotage, um, and it's been a great series. And hopefully by now you understand what sabotage is, but, but if not, here's the definition of sabotage. It's to deliberately destroy, to damage, or obstruct something. To deliberately destroy, to damage, or obstruct something. That's what sabotage means. Now, I spent years in the military, and we use that term a lot in the military. Maybe that's the way you thought of it, but, but certainly it can be used outside of that. And you know that probably because you felt sabotage before. You felt like somebody has deliberately damaged you or deliberately tried to destroy you or keep you from doing something. We've experienced sabotage in our own lives. I can remember the first time I experienced sabotage. I was probably nine or ten years old. And I was at my best friend's house in Kentucky, and it was a small little town. And when I say small, I mean like one caution light kind of town that sometimes they didn't even plug in because everybody knew each other, you know. It was that kind of town. And he, he had an older sister, and she was uh, dating a guy at the time. And, and so as a nine-year-old boy, our job was basically to try to disrupt that relationship, right? That was, that was what we wanted to do. And so um, one night, they were getting ready to say goodbye for the night. He was getting ready to go home, and, and they went out on the front porch. And we knew that this moment was coming. So during the day, we had already made, we had pre-filled some water balloons to help out with this romantic moment on the front porch. And so our plan was to sneak around out the back, go around through the neighborhood where we could get a good spot across the road. And at that, that special moment, that kiss goodnight, we thought, what better way to celebrate a kiss goodnight than with a water balloon to the head, right? And so that was our plan. And we went out, we were going through the yards, everything was going great. And we got to this one yard, and there was, um, there was a party on the back porch. So we knew we'd have to be a little more quiet. We'd have to sneak through the yard a little, uh, a little more quiet. It had a fence around it. And so I ran first, and I kind of crawled behind this bush that was in the backyard, uh, probably 20, 30 feet from the porch, and I hid in it. And my friend ran, and he hid behind this big oak tree. I should have done that, but he hid behind this huge oak tree. And so I'm laying in the bush, okay, now we just got to go uh, the rest of the distance to get out of the yard. But I hear a man on the back porch say, who's in my yard? Now, in the backwoods of Kentucky, you are immediately scared when you're on somebody else's property and they know you're there. And he says it again, who's in my yard? And then I hear a sound that I'll never forget, and it sounded like this. <laughs> now, if you don't watch TV at all, that was the sound of a shotgun, okay? So I'm a little bit terrified, and I'm laying in the bush. My friend is behind this big oak tree. He's perfectly safe behind it. And this is where I experienced sabotage for the first time, as my friend, from his comfort, his safety, says this. I'm in the bush, shooting the bush. Shooting the bush, shooting the bush. <laughs> I was terrified, right? And then the gun went off. I heard the man shoot the gun, and I'm telling you, I ran so fast. If there had been Olympic time trials going on, I would have been first. They would have said, sign this guy up. I jumped the fence in one leap. Like, looking back, he probably just shot up in the air. But still, I was terrified. That was my first experience of sabotage. Now, maybe, maybe you haven't experienced sabotage quite at that level, right? If you have, here's my advice. Find better friends, okay? That's all I learned from that. 
because I need better friends. But, but you've probably still experienced sabotage. Maybe you've experienced it in the, in the form of what uh, Doug and Marcy all have talked about over the last few weeks. Maybe you've experienced it in comparison. I know I wrestle with that, and that can sabotage me. Or maybe like Marcy all talked about, you experience with labels that people give you. Or maybe last week, uh, it related to you that you experienced sabotage through being afraid, through having fear about things. Listen, I really encourage you to go back, if you missed one of those, to, to watch those messages. It will challenge you. I promise it will encourage you to keep from being sabotaged. But we've all experienced sabotage. But the thing about today's sabotage is I think it's the hardest to see coming. I think it's the last one that we recognize, but it affects us all. And it's the, the attitude of apathy. The, the sabotage we're going to talk about today is the, the attitude of apathy. Here's what apathy is. It's lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. Lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. When Doug talked to me about this and said, hey, do you want to speak on, on apathy? I said, yeah, I, I guess so, whatever, that's fine. So. Some of you will get that later. Just ask somebody else who was laughing. Some of you may never get it. It's okay. I said, yeah, no, I'm actually very excited to talk about apathy because Here's what I know about apathy. It affects every single one of us. Every single one of you in this room, apathy affects you. But there's good news in this. This is is why you should pay attention today is because you're the only one who decides if you're apathetic. You're the only one. You're 100% in control of whether or not you're apathetic. See, people can sabotage you with comparison. They can say, hey, look at all this stuff, all the things I have. You don't have any of this. They can sabotage you that way. They can sabotage you with labels. They can give you labels that you wear around, that you have to fight against. They can sabotage you with fear. They can make you, but you're the only one who controls whether or not you're apathetic. So you ready to learn how to overcome apathy this morning? That was pretty apathetic, but that's okay. We're going to get there, all right? We're going to get there. This is your first test. You failed miserably, but by the end, we're going to be there, all right? We're gonna, in, in Luke 10, Jesus is with a crowd of people, and he's talking about apathy. There's a big crowd following him around as he talks about this. Now, here's the thing. If you're just checking out church this morning, maybe this is the first time you've ever been here. Or you're just giving it one last chance. Or maybe your neighbor invited you because they said they were going to buy you lunch. Here's the thing. is Jesus isn't specifically talking to you. He is talking to Christians. I, we're glad you're here. We say this here at Orchard is that you can belong before you can believe. You can belong here before you believe everything. And so this morning, you're a little bit off the hook because you haven't signed up for this. Right now, I still think it would be a great thing for you to put in practice. I think it would be life-changing for you. I think you'll be glad you did, but you're off the hook. But if you're a follower of Christ, if you've said yes to Jesus, this is not a suggestion. This is not a good idea. This is not just something Jesus tosses out there. This is a command for us. This is the way that we are supposed to live our lives. It is not optional. And so in this story, Jesus is there, and there's this crowd of people. They followed him everywhere because he was always turning two fish into a bunch of fish and giving them bread and teaching them, and they wanted to see if he was doing miracles. And so there's a crowd around, and one man comes up to Jesus. And this man's a lawyer. He's specifically a Jewish lawyer. So he knew all about the law. He knew all about what Jesus was teaching. And he comes up to Jesus, and and he begins uh, talking to Jesus, and he has a question for him. And, And this is what he says to Jesus when he comes up to him. Let's look in verse 25. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test, that's important, Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is free, all right? This is this step out of the story for me. You don't have to write this down. You remember this? It's never a good idea to test Jesus, okay? If you don't remember anything I say, you're not going to win that, okay? It's, it's just not a good idea to test Jesus. It never works out well. And so Jesus, uh, shockingly, knows that this man is just trying to test him. 
right? Because Jesus knows what we're thinking anyways. That's why you lose when you try to test Jesus. So he knows that he's trying to test him, and Jesus gives him a, a, a genius response. Look in verse 26. What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Hey, hey, hey the guy's question is, Jesus says, wait, wait, you're, you're a lawyer. You've you, you studied this. Hey, what, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Don't you hate it when people answer your question with a question? That drives me nuts. Man, you, you understand. Maybe, you've, maybe it's been a rough day at home, right? Saturday is a rough day at home. You and your wife just weren't on the same page. And at some point in the day, you say something like this, Honey, are you mad? Right? And she responds, Well, what do you think? <laughs> you ever been there? I don't know. That's why I asked. I genuinely don't know. It's 50-50. It's a toss-up. I felt like I should ask the question, but I'm not really sure, right? Or what about this? A lot of you will experience this today. When you get in your car, guys, you'll turn. You'll say, honey, where do you want to go eat? (laughs) And she's going to look at you and say, where do you want to go eat, right? (laughs) Ladies, help us. Help us. We're not that smart. We don't know. We don't ask questions just because. We don't ask questions to start conversations. We ask questions because we gave it about five seconds of thought and we couldn't figure it out. So we're like, oh, I'm just going to ask. Right? you got to help us out. That's what Jesus does here. He knows uh, the answer, but he turns the table. He asks a question back. He knows the trick. And look, in verse 27, here's what the guy says. Well, the law says you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't this amazing? He already knows the answer. He completely, like, he didn't stumble on this. He didn't ask a friend. He didn't ask the, he, he didn't look it up. He knew the answer. Have you ever asked God a question, but you already knew the answer? Like, you, you pray about something. You're just checking in to see if he's changed his mind in the last few thousand years. Like, you knew the answer. Maybe, maybe you've been coming here for a year or two years or three years. Like, gosh, yeah, should I serve at order? Like, you don't have to ask that question. Yeah. He wants you to get involved. Or maybe, maybe there's a co-worker, somebody on your street, and you, you know they don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you've built a relationship with them, and you're, I mean, you've been praying for six years about whether or not you should share your faith with them. You don't have to ask God that anymore. The answer is yes. He, he wants you to do that. We've been there before where we know the answer, and that's exactly what this guy is. He gives the answer. He knows, hey, it's love God. It's love people. He, he knows the answer. And Jesus responds to him. It's a great response. Yep. Yep, good answer. Do that and you'll live. That's what Jesus says. He's like, yeah, man, you nailed it. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. Now, the story should end here, right? He asks the question. Jesus gives him the answer that he already knew. The man should walk away and say, okay, I know how to have eternal life. But that's not what happens. See, this man, is, he's not so different than us. He already knew the church answer. What he was looking for was some wiggle room. He was looking for a loophole. He was looking for a way to feel and act and be apathetic about some stuff. And so he has a follow-up question. This is what he says to Jesus. Then the man wanting to justify. See, this is about himself. It's not about what's really going on. Wanting to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Say that with me. And who is my neighbor? He was a smart aleck in my mind. That's how I picture this guy. Right? He's, he's saying, okay, Jesus, well, you don't know where I live. You don't know who's next to me. You don't know who's around me. You don't know where I work. So who is my neighbor? What this guy is trying to do, he's trying to say, hey, what's the least I have to do to obey that commandment? What's the bare minimum I have to do 
to be considered as loving my neighbor, to have eternal life. Some of you, like me, may have had this philosophy in high school or college. Hey, what's the minimum I have to do to get by, right? That was this guy's question. This is what he wanted to ask. And Jesus says to him, here in verse 30, I'm going to tell you a story. Because apparently you can't get a direct answer, so I'm going to share a story. I'm going to bring this down to 5th, 6th grade level. I'm going to share a story so the crowd's listening. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he was attacked by bandits, and they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. Now, the crowd is listening. I mean, they're engaged. They want to see what happens. Let's keep going. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the what? You get another chance here in a minute. Get ready, all right? Crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. And a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the what? Other side. Yes, the other side. They both went to the other side. And then Jesus goes on. He says, then a despised Samaritan came along. Now the crowd is tuned in at this point. Because here's the thing about Samaritans. They hated them. They hated Samaritans had married uh, outside of the nation of Israel. They considered them traitors. They hated Samaritans. They wouldn't talk to them. They wouldn't touch them. They wouldn't associate. They wouldn't hang out. So when Jesus says, and then a Samaritan came, the crowd leans in. They want to hear what this Samaritan does. So he comes along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Now, at this point in the story, there's not that much difference in the Samaritan and the other two men. The other two men had seen the guy laying in the ditch. The Samaritan had seen him. The Samaritan had compassion for him. And I would argue that both the priest and the temple worker had compassion. They saw the man laying there. I mean, these were two of the, the most righteous, the most uh, revered, the most morally upright, two of the, the best people in the community. Certainly they had compassion when they saw this man lay, laying in a ditch, dying, beaten to death. We've all been there, right? We've seen a situation. We've seen a moment. Uh, we've met someone. Something's going on. And we've had sympathy. That's not new to us. We understand sympathy. It wasn't new to this crowd. They're like, yeah, we get it. All of them had sympathy. The guy's dying in the ditch. But Jesus isn't finished. And what he says next about the Samaritan will determine whether or not we are defined by apathy. So he feels compassion. He sees him laying there. And then what does Jesus say about the man? Read this with me. Going over to him. Try that one more time. Going over to him. This makes all the difference in the world. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. He goes over to him. He walks across the road to him. See, here's the thing about apathy. This is in your notes. Apathy walks away. Action walks toward. Apathy walks away. Action walks toward. Being apathetic doesn't mean that you don't see the situation. It doesn't mean that you don't have sympathy. Being apathetic means that in spite of what you see, in spite of how you feel, you walk away from. You don't do anything about it. Let me see if I can explain it this way. How many of you have ever seen the commercial? It's run this song for me for life. It's a Sarah McLaughlin song in the arms of an angel. Yeah, yes, that's the appropriate response. Ah, yeah. I should do something, right? That's how you feel. There is no, nothing that will get me off the couch faster than that commercial to change the channel. My kids are asking questions. I'm tearing up. I don't know what's going on. You know, like it's, but here's the thing. At best, at best, I'm emotionally apathetic. It makes me emotional. I feel sympathy. I have two dogs of my own. I love dogs. But at best, I'm emotionally apathetic. 
See, sympathy doesn't mean that you're not apathetic. You can have sympathy and still be apathetic. Here's how I know, because I've never picked up the phone and called. I've never given money. I've never done anything for those dogs. I have sympathy for them, but I'm apathetic. The truth is we don't drift towards action. We drift towards apathy. If we just kind of set the sails, we will drift towards apathy. Well, why is that? Well, I'm going to spend the remaining few minutes that we have the rest of the time to look at that question, the reasons that we don't care the way that Jesus wants us to care. Why don't we care the way Jesus wants us to care? And then how we can overcome that. So here's the first thing. Why don't we care the way Jesus wants to care? Here's the first thing that we see in this story is that caring disrupts our comfort. Caring disrupts our comfort. Look at verse 34. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. See, here's what I know about action. Action will make us uncomfortable. Action will make us uncomfortable. The Samaritan was on this road that is a dangerous road. Everybody knew it was dangerous. There were, there were robbers and murderers all along this road. The best thing for him to do, the most comfortable thing would, would have been for him to just stay on his donkey and ride on off the road. That would have been the best thing. Nobody would have questioned that. They would have said, hey, he's putting his comfort first. And we understand that. We like comfort, don't we? You know this. You can order a pizza on your phone, and it will be there in just minutes you don't ever even have to get up off your couch except to get it at the door. And if you have kids, you don't even have to get up then, right? So, I mean, that, let's be honest. That's why we have them. That's one of the reasons. You can order something off of Amazon. And in two days, some places in one day, you can have it. I mean, that's comfort, right? You can pay a little bit of extra money. God bless whoever came up with this. And you don't have to watch commercials, right? Like that man is a saint, whoever came up with that idea. Or what about this one? This one, some of you this week, you're going to have your phone in your hand and you're going to get so frustrated. You're going to get so annoyed because the internet is not going to be working the way that you want it to work. Forget all the details that have to go in to you getting the internet on your phone. Like there's signals going from from satellite poles to space. I don't know what all it does, but it's crazy and we're upset that it took 7 seconds for that page to load on our on our phone, right? And we're going to get angry. Some of us are going to go into a little bit of a panic when we get this right here, right? <laughs> there better not be anybody around us. They will not believe that we love Jesus if we get this for too long. In fact, some of you right now are kind of starting to panic. You're like, I, I need something to load on there. Just hit refresh. Somebody hit refresh, right? <laughs> we like to be comfortable. We, and, and listen, that's not bad. Comfort is fine. I'm not telling you don't be comfortable. Be comfortable. I'm just saying be careful because we drift towards comfort. We drift towards comfort, and comfort leads to apathy, not action. Comfort leads to apathy, not action. The second thing we see in this story about why we don't care the way Jesus wants is because caring costs us something. We know this is true, don't we? That caring costs us something. Look in verse 35. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. See, here's the thing about what it costs us. Maybe sometimes it doesn't begin with apathy. I know this is true for me. Maybe my apathy comes out of a place of selfishness. Because I can be selfish. I can be selfish. Like, I like my weekends. I like my time. I, I, I like to spend them doing things I want to do. I like spending my money on me, the things that I like. Right? I, I didn't start out as apathetic. I just kind of started out as selfish, and it led to apathy. 
right? Because I'm selfish, I don't want to spend what it's going to take. And it leads to apathy. This, this man cares for a complete stranger. He goes out of his way to clean him up. He lets him ride on his own donkey. He takes him into town. And I promise as he rode into town, he got some evil looks. Because he's hated. Remember, he's a Samaritan. He's hated. And the other Samaritans in the town were probably mad at him too. They were probably saying, hey man, why are you helping this guy? He wouldn't have stopped to help you. He wouldn't have given you the time of day if you were in the ditch. Right? This guy knew all that. It cost him something. It cost him some friends. It cost him some relationships, but he was okay. It cost him some money. We don't know the, the money it says there. We don't know if that's two days wages. Some people say it's two weeks. Whatever it is, it's money that he wasn't planning on spending. It cost him money. Or maybe, maybe the most difficult for us, it cost him time. Right? Like I'll, I'll write a check to something. I'll text to give. I'll, I'll swipe my card to help, but, but man, don't ask me for my time. I can make more money. I can't make more time. I can't get more time. But this man goes out. He, he takes a complete stranger and takes him to a, to a hotel and spends the night there to make sure he's thinking. Can you imagine stopping your day and doing that? I mean, that, that, just, that just blows our mind. But that's what this man does. It cost him something. For him to care like Jesus, it cost him time and money and relationships and reputation. It cost him something. I don't know what it is in your life. I don't know what circle of influence you have, where there's a need, where there's a person hurting, where there's a cause. And for you to take action, it's going to cost you something. But here's what I do know, and this is in your notes. All of us have something to give to a cause that's worth it. All of us have something to give to a cause that's worth it. There's somebody around you, there's something around you, and you have something to give to that cause. You have something to give to that person. But maybe this morning, maybe you say, Michael, that, I understand what you're saying. That's not me, though. Like, it's, not, it's not a money issue. It's not a time issue. Those are not the things that keep me from caring. No, I don't care primarily because, because of this. This is the third thing we see in the story. is because caring takes commitment. Caring takes commitment. Let's see how committed the Samaritan is to taking care of this man. He tells the innkeeper, if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the what? Next time. He's coming back. He didn't just drop him off and say, hey, best of luck. He said, hey, I'm going to come back and check on you. And if you've ran up a tab, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to take care of you. That's commitment. See, there's so many things for us that we could be committed. It seems like we're pulled in so many ways. And sometimes there's so much pressure for us, we just don't know what to be committed to. Somebody wants us to be committed over here. Somebody wants us to be over there. And we just we can't be committed into everything. And so we're guilted in and we're just kind of... We kind of give a little bit here and care a little bit here, but we're not really committed to anything. You know what I'm talking about? You ever, you ever feel, felt guilted into caring about something? Maybe it's happened to you. It's happened to me before on social media. Somebody, somebody will send something or they'll post something like this, and, it, and, it, and they're telling me, hey, I need you to like this, and I need you to repost this for Jesus. Have, have any of you ever gotten something like this? Yeah. yeah. Do you love Jesus? Like and share if you love Jesus. Well, I do love Jesus. But I don't want to share that on Facebook or Twitter or something, right? Anybody, anybody else, you feel me, right? It's okay. You still love Jesus if you don't want to send this on. Or maybe you get one like this. Share me, type amen, and either the flash or Satan, I'm not sure, is over here saying, <laughs> keep scrolling, right? Man, that's horrible. Or what about this? This one's my favorite one. Jesus says, share and like if you love me. Otherwise, you're going to burn in hell, just saying. <laughs> Listen. If you ignored that, that, he didn't say that, okay? You're all right. Don't feel like, man, I better go back and share that, okay? You don't, you don't have to. He didn't say that. 
And if you share this to me, if you send this to me, one time I'm going to look over, two times we're probably going to become unfriends on social media, all right? Because I don't want to be pulled on that. I don't want to feel that pressure to share that. Listen, I get it. I've traveled all around the world. I've seen things. You've seen, you see things on the news. You turn the news on. There's a natural disaster somewhere in the world. And they need, they need people to give money and give time. And I mean, it just, you know, they need some commitment there. You, see, you, you, you look and you see a car bomb goes off in Syria. And man, it, it breaks your heart. And they need, they need help. They need someone to be committed. Somebody shares with you a, a, a GoFundMe. And it's a tragedy that happens. And, and it's a genuine thing. And they need help. But Man, you, you feel pressure to do something there. Your, your neighbor shares a story with you about a cat that's stuck in a hole somewhere. Well, maybe not that one. That's probably not that much pressure. You're like, whatever. <laughs> but but we're pulled in all of these directions, and they all take commitment, and we just get, we kind of get overwhelmed, don't we? We kind of get overwhelmed looking at everything. I can't help all of these. I, I just feel helpless to make a difference. Have you ever felt that way? Like, what do I do? I don't mean to be apathetic. I don't want to be apathetic, but what can I do? I don't, I don't have the money to fix the problem. Right? I don't have, the, I don't have the, the resources to overcome that injustice. So, so what can I do? Well, here's what I would tell you this morning is, is this. You can't do everything, but you can do something. You can't do everything, but you can do something. What, what passion has God given you? You can't do it alone, but you can do something. There's a cause for you to commit to. Not all of them, but, the, but there's certainly something out there that God has stirred a passion in you that you can be committed to. And so if we do want to care the way Jesus does, where do we begin? If we say, hey, my God, I do want to fight apathy, but how do I care the way that Jesus wants? How do we overcome apathy with action? Let me share a couple thoughts with you. I think to overcome apathy with action, you need to do this. You need to constantly, constantly step outside of your comfort zone. You need to constantly step outside of your comfort zone. Not just sometimes, not occasionally. You need to constantly step outside of your comfort zone. Because here's the thing. Lack of consistency results in a lack of interest. Like if, if, if you commit the second Tuesday of every quarter, you're not going to make much of a difference, right? Your passion is not going to be stirred by those four times a year that you do something. right? You need consistency. I, I've led mission trips with lots of teams and people all around the world. And one of the things I noticed is when we come home, man, they are on fire. They are passionate about whatever cause we're over there to support. But the longer we're home, you know what happens? That passion fades. Why? Why, does that, why is that the case? Well, it's because life happens. Work happens. School starts back. Bills come in. Life sets back in. And they don't mean to, but they're separated from the thing that caused them to have a passion. Now, I understand you can't go on a mission trip every month to keep the passion in you alive. But certainly there's something in your community. There's something on your street. There's something in your neighborhood. There's something where you work or at your school. And just like those who go on the mission trip, the longer you stay away from it, the less you are involved in it, the weaker your passion for it grows. And so you need to continue to be around whatever you're passionate about to guard against apathy. And so maybe you say, hey, I, I want to be involved, but I'm, just, I'm not real sure what my passion is. I want to encourage you to discover your passion, to, to lean into whatever makes you righteously uncomfortable. What is that thing that when you see it, when you hear about it, when somebody tells you about it, when you watch it on the news, man, that you just can't let it go for a little while? It just breaks your heart. Maybe it makes you angry. Maybe it makes you frustrated, but it just... 
It's more than just the normal thing. It stirs something up in you. That's something that makes you righteously uncomfortable. That's a great place to begin. Or if you're not, where, uh, not sure where to start, if you're still looking for a passion, I would encourage you to do this. If you're a follower of Christ, I would encourage all of you to pray this prayer. But i got to warn you, it's a dangerous prayer. It's, don't pray it if you don't really want the results to happen. But if you want to discover a passion, pray this. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. And here's the great thing, is we can know what breaks God's heart. Because Jesus came to earth. And Jesus shares with us. He talks to us. He tells us the things that breaks his heart. He talks about the poor. He talks about the widowed. He talks about the orphans. He talks about those who don't have a relationship with him. He says, these things break my heart. Do something about these. Listen, that is a great place for you to start discovering what you're passionate about when it comes to caring. Another thing, another way to overcome apathy with action is this. This is in your notes as well. To focus on something. Focus on something. Many things are going to capture your heart. I'm sorry. Many things are going to capture your attention, but few will capture your heart. Lots of things will capture your attention. You'll see things every day, but only a few are going to capture your heart. And you're not going to make a big difference in dozens of different areas. You're just going to make a little difference, a small difference. Why not focus on something and make a big difference in a few places? And, and here's the great thing. You don't have to invent something. You don't have to start a nonprofit. You don't have to come up with your own thing to be passionate about. You can join in with other people who are already passionate about it, who are already just join in with them. You don't have to invent it. At Orchard, you may have noticed there's, there's not a ton of ministries here. right? We're not running a bunch of ministries, but we partner with some people who are passionate about some things that we believe in. We, we partner with Almost Home, a, a transition house, to help people get back on their feet because they're passionate about that, and that's a good cause. And so... We didn't say, hey, we're going to do that and compete with you. We just said, we're going to join in with you. We partner with the Denver Rescue Mission. It's a great cause, and, and so we just partner with them. We let them do what they know how to do best, and we help and partner with them. We partner with Life Choices Pregnancy Center. Man, it's a great place to partner. And that's why, that's why we want you so often, we say, man, we don't want you to just sit and watch. We want you to come be part of. Because there's so many opportunities. Orchard's involved in so many things. And so whether you're serving here in the church or whether you're using the church and the partnerships we have outside the walls or doing both, this is a great place for you to begin to develop your passion for making a difference, for taking action. And those aren't the only good causes out there, but those are the ones that we focus on, right? Because focused passion makes a big difference. But here's the thing. When you say, okay, I'm going to focus my passion, I'm going to focus my attention, I'm going to make a difference, the enemy's going to lie to you. He's going to tell you, no, 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 you can't do that. But here's what you need to remember. Is that apathy makes an excuse, but passion makes a way. Apathy makes an excuse, excuse, but passion makes a way. Listen, when you're passionate about something, when you commit to that, all those lies about how you can't do anything, you're just going to push them aside. You are going to make a way. And I want to encourage you with this. Don't just make it a good passion. Make it a gospel passion. Don't just make it a good passion. Make it a gospel passion. Don't just feed someone so that they have a, a full stomach. Feed someone so that you can then fill them up spiritually. You can lead them into a relationship with Jesus. Don't just, don't just love children around the world who need a home so that they have an earthly home. Love them so that they know who Jesus is and can have an eternal home. See, Orchard partners with those organizations, and we love those organizations. But you know what Orchard's number one passion is? It's to help people find and follow Jesus. 
We do all of those other things. We give money there. We spend time there. We send people out on mission there. We do all of those other things because we want to help people find and follow Jesus. And that is a gospel passion. Without, listen, listen, without the good news, passion is good. It's good. But the difference is temporary. They're going to wake up hungry the next day. They're going to need a place to live the next day. They're going to need someone to love them the next day. Without the gospel, the difference is only temporary. But when you infuse the gospel, when you meet a physical need so that you can meet a spiritual need, the difference is for eternity. Have a gospel passion. And one last way to overcome apathy. And this is a tough one. Embrace what hurts. Embrace what hurts. It's okay to embrace what hurts. Our version of Christianity is always, if it's always comfortable, about us being comfortable, then we're not really following God. Somebody has lied to us and said, hey, a Christian shouldn't be burdened. You know, you should be able to lay your head down on your pillow at night without a care in the world. I'm telling you, that is a lie. Right? They are pushing you towards apathy. It is okay to lose sleep because your heart is broken. It's okay to worry about someone, to worry about a cause. It is okay. Let, let me say it like this. This is in your notes. It's better to hurt with a purpose than to exist without one. Right? It's better to hurt with a purpose than to exist without one. Don't go through life being apathetic about everything. Find a purpose. Have a passion for it. This Samaritan understood this. He didn't want to live apathetically. He wanted to take action. And so this crowd is now around Jesus, and they're looking at this lawyer who's thinking, man, I wish I hadn't opened my big mouth, right? They're just staring at him, kind of probably snickering a little bit. And then Jesus kind of wraps up the story. He looks at the lawyer, and he asks him this amazing question. In verse 36, he says to the lawyer, now which one of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asks this amazing question. Your parents, maybe when you were a kid, they ever ask you a question that you knew they already knew the answer to? Right? Like they come home, hey, who did this? You were the only one in the house. You know, you're like, well, obviously it was me, mom and dad. But they just want to make you say it out loud, right? That's what's happening here. He he knew that this man knew. And then look how this man answers. The one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, Yep. Now you go and do. Not see and feel. Not look and have sympathy. Go and do the same. See, this is not a theological issue. This, this is a real life issue. This man knew the answer to his question. He just didn't want to do it. He wanted a way out. For us, it's a day-to-day issue as well. Apathy, here's the thing about apathy. Here's what's so dangerous about apathy. Apathy's not going to kill you. It's not. It's just going to let you keep living the way you're living now. That's why it's so dangerous. Satan, it's, it's one of the greatest tools of Satan. He's not going to try to get you to denounce your faith. He's not going to try to get you to commit some atrocious crime. No, no, no. He's like, man, this guy is apathetic. This girl's apathetic. She doesn't care really about anything. She's not making a difference anywhere. I'll just let her keep living the way she's living. And listen, this is so important to Jesus that later on in the Gospel of John, Jesus is with his disciples And he's about to go to the cross. He's about to be crucified. He's about to die. He could have talked about a thousand different things. But he's sitting around these men. And one more time, he talks about how important it is to care. How important it is to love other people. He's sitting around. This is his going away speech. And this is what Jesus has to say. John 13, he says this to them. 
So now I'm giving you a new commandment. I'm, hey, I'm about to leave, guys. I'm about to be gone. I'm about to, you're on your own. Here's the new commandment. Here's what you need to do. Love each other just as I have loved you. That's it. That's it. You want to turn a You want to follow Jesus? You want to, you want to be a Christ follower? Love others just as Jesus has loved you. And here's what I know about Jesus' love. It was not apathetic. Jesus' love was uncomfortable. Jesus left heaven because he loves you so much and came to an uncomfortable existence on earth where he was hated and mocked and despised. His love for you cost him something. It cost him his life. But he loved you so much. He cared for you so much that he put that care into action and was willing to die. You know, how, you know how committed Jesus was to us? That before we even knew we needed a Savior, He came to save us. We weren't down here waving our hands, saying, hey, I've made a mess of things. I don't have any hope. Jesus, will you come? No, no, no. We thought we were sitting pretty. Life was good. And Jesus said, I know what they don't know. He's so committed in His love towards us that He came before we even asked him to shouldn't we if we have said yes to Jesus shouldn't we be willing to love others the way he loved us don't we owe that to him see the standard for our action is Jesus it's not our neighbors it's not the people we work with it's not your pastors your standard for action is Jesus how did he care for others that's how we are supposed to care for others so what is it what is it that you've been apathetic about? How have you been sabotaging yourself by letting apathy sneak in? What area of your life do you need to take action today? Men, have you been apathetic about your home? I mean, you haven't been doing anything bad. You haven't been doing anything wrong. You've just been kind of apathetic. Just on cruise control. Today's the day you stop sabotaging your, your marriage and your, your relationship with your kids and you begin to take action. Who is it that's in your life that, that man, you know they don't have a relationship with Jesus. But you've been kind of apathetic. Today's the day to take action. Maybe in your own life you've sabotaged your spiritual growth. You feel kind of dead inside because, man, you just check coming to church off the box. You just check it off. Hey, I did that. But you've been apathetic about your relationship with Jesus. Maybe today is the day that you stop watching. You take action. See, here's the thing. The difference in the priest the difference in the temple worker, the difference in the Samaritan. It's not what they saw. They all saw the man laying in the ditch. It's not what they felt. They all felt sympathy. They all saw him. He's, he's dying. He's, he's bleeding. He's, it's a mess. They feel sympathy. The difference in them is what they did. The difference is that one man took action. And listen, he didn't stop all the violence on that road. That road didn't become the safe. There was probably other people laying in a ditch somewhere on that road. He didn't stop all the violence from ever happening on that road. But if you were to ask the man in the hotel room as he's being nursed back to health, hey, did the Samaritan make a difference in your life? What would he say? Yeah. Yeah, he saved my life. He made a difference in my life. You're not going to solve all the world's problems. You can't change everything. But you can change something. You can't help everyone. You don't have the time, the resources, the money, the ability. That's not, God never intended for that for you. But you can help someone. 
You can make a difference in someone's life. You can stop being apathetic about everything that you see, everything that you hear. You can find a cause. So who is it this morning? What is it this morning? That your heart's stirring. A person's on your mind. A cause is in your heart. And you say, today, I'm going to begin making a difference. If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Christ, man, I want to encourage you that that God has so much for you. He has such a a plan for you. He He has a person for you to get involved in. He has a cause for you to be a part of. Let today be the day that you, like the Samaritan, take what you see and what you feel and you put action into your life. That you're willing to be uncomfortable, that you're willing to experience the cost. If that's you this morning, I just want to pray for you because I get it. I understand how hard this is. It is hard for us to overcome apathy. But we've got to because we have the hope of the world. We have to reach down into people's lives and take action. So if that's you this morning, I realize it's it's not going to be everybody. But some of you, man, there's a person on your mind. There's a cause in your heart right now that's stirring. If that's you, would you just lift your hand so I can pray for you? If that's you this morning, just lift your hand up high. Amen. And we need you. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for the men and women and young people who just raised their hand that said, God, I don't want to be apathetic. I want to take action. I want to step out and make a difference in someone's life, in a a cause somewhere. And I just pray that you would give them the boldness, the courage to do it. That it's so worth it when we make a difference for you. God, give them the strength when they leave this place today to begin putting a plan in place to take action. With heads bowed and eyes still closed. If you're here this morning, you would say, Michael, you know, I... I heard what you said about having good causes and a gospel cause. I, I, don't, I don't know that I have a relationship with Jesus. I, I've, I've never accepted him as my Savior. Listen, I want to tell you that Jesus is actively pursuing you right now. You didn't just happen to be here today. You just didn't happen to come because somebody invited you. You came because Jesus wants you to know that he is not apathetic about you, that he loves you, that he cares deeply for you, that he gave his life for you. And so if you're here this morning, you say, Michael, well, I... I believe what you're saying. I believe what Jesus says, and I, and I do want to say yes to Jesus. I do want to give my life to Him. I'm going to pray here in just a minute. There's nothing magic about this prayer. There's nothing special about it. But as I say this prayer, you say it right where you're at in your seat. Nobody's going to embarrass you or call you out. You pray this with me if today you want to say yes to Jesus. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying in my place. Please forgive me of my sins. And today, I want to accept you as my Savior. I love you, Jesus. Listen, i got to tell you, if you just prayed that prayer, that is the first step of overcoming apathy. It is the greatest decision you will ever make in your life. And I want to be able to pray for you, that you'll have strength, 
that you'll have courage, that you'll grow in your relationship with Jesus. So if that's you, on the count of three, just raise your hand. Nobody's going to call you out. Nobody's going to embarrass you. No one's looking around. If you prayed that prayer on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise your hand if you prayed that prayer. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for those hands that went up. God, what, there's no greater, what a great step they just took for you. And God, I pray that they will just feel your presence in their lives, that they will experience the life change that only you can bring. God, thank you for loving us so much, not being apathetic about us, but dying for us, taking action so that we could have a relationship with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.